Okay, good morning and welcome to another new energy chinwork with myself, John Massey and Charlie Rattan. Um, today we thought we'd have a chat about Internet of Things and I guess kind of smart grid and how that ties in with um, renewable power and, and various other aspects of the of the new energy transition. Um, again, just to briefly remind you who we are. Um, I've been in uh, clean energy now for about um, 15 years. I've been in industry analysis, particularly looking at kind of disruptive technologies, um, the, the business models behind them, the, how they develop into the market um, in a number of sectors for 25 years now. Um, and Charlie, if you just want to say who you are. Yeah, I was with uh, Shell for many years, uh, John, on uh, major projects and uh, global major projects. I moved across myself to renewable energy about 15 uh, years ago, uh, very much involved in the cutting edge and in the coal face, if you like, if renewable energy can have one of those delivering projects, <laughs> the man on the ground, the man in a steel cube with people knocking on the door to find out what was happening and making sure that projects run smoothly. Over 10 years of experience on major offshore projects as, uh, as well. We linked uh, up together three or four years ago now. We, uh, we worked together in the United States uh, with Boehm and uh, more recently in uh, in Canada. So good uh, good morning, everybody. Hope you find today's uh, uh, chinwag of, of interest. Okay, so um, Internet of Things and and the whole kind of smart area. I mean, it's an enormous set of topics. So we'll probably just scrape the surface. Um, but I guess from your side, Charlie, what I mean. What's your understanding of when we talk about Internet of Things? Um, everyone has a slightly different view of what it is. Let's let's hear yours. Yeah, back in the day, um, I was involved in uh, the shell, funnily enough, with, uh, with the IT side, and they were trialing various things called VPN and uh, kind of remote working. But one of the things that kept emerging was this concept of uh, of an Internet of uh, of Things, and I suppose as I understood it, it was that every 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 kind of appliance, every every object almost in your in your home and elsewhere, could be ascribed to some kind of sensor, and that sensor ultimately could transmit data to perhaps a server. It could be perhaps done remotely via encryption, and then this would give you great control. And, and things have happened on this Internet of Things. Some have been false leads. I uh, I've seen uh, things on he heating systems where the the, the sensors are on. Uh, appliances and they're controllable from a central control panel and you can use the data and you can use it smartly you can build in lags and i've seen other dead-end technologies i remember these little cardboard cutouts that amazon used to uh, to present and you'd, you'd buy one for a couple of pounds and uh, whenever you're washing liquid run out you press this cardboard thing and, and lo and behold the delivery of the new products would uh, would be there so it's uh, it's been around for a long time now we john but um why do you think suddenly there's all this talk about it? Why is it now? Why is suddenly the Internet of Things back? And why is it back with a vengeance? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. I mean, I I think in in the telecoms world, which I spent quite a bit of time in, um, I think it's very much there. Um, we, we used to talk about, before Internet of Things became a kind of trendy buzzword, there was this um, term machine-to-machine -machine communications, which was, was very much getting away from the fact that people talking to people, it was all about... Um, devices, talking to other devices, talking to appliances, talking to um, all sorts of things. So it, it was very much about data communications rather than voice communications. Um, and really in, in the smartphone world um, and now smart home with Alexa and all that kind of stuff, um, 
I mean, I think Internet of Things is, is very much there and you're seeing various industrial applications. I mean, in terms of energy, uh, I mean, it's a it's an interesting one. I think it, it really, to my, to my mind, it really ties in this, this whole idea of kind of smart grid and smart energy. Um, what what Internet of Things will ultimately do in the energy space is, again, it, it's about connectivity it's about the various devices in the system being able to talk to other devices in the system so that you can do useful things um, and the key change in the energy system that i think is going to drive this is the move towards very much more distributed energy um, so generation at the household level um, electric cars being connected into the grid um, and so the fact that instead of having a system where you've got a few big centralized sources of generation pushing power out to people at the edge in a in a fairly you've got to balance supply and demand and there's lots of clever things go on but it's a relatively one-way traffic um, fairly fairly dumb dumb system in many ways but now we're moving much more to a system where we could have energy being generated in multiple points within the system some could be centralized a lot going forwards will be on people's rooftops it could be local community wind farms it could be a whole bunch of of um of individual distributed devices it could include storage at various levels from household to street level to community level and um, to grid substation level um, and unless all these things can talk to each other and unless you can gather all the data from those different things and know what's what when for example with a battery when the battery should be charging when it should be discharging um, when you should be feeding power from pv systems on roofs into the grid and when you should be um, trading that locally for example it's going to be very hard for a system like that to to work efficiently and to work reliably so i think to my mind, that's the big thing that's driving it in energy is the shift from a centralized producer consumer system to a more distributed system where consumers are also become this term prosumers. They they can also they can create demand, but they can also potentially be generators themselves. Yes, I think there's uh, there's a lot of things happen to make that uh, happen, John. I think the processing power of computers has uh, has gone up by. Uh, quantum uh, it's not just been exponential it's been massive the uh, the power of the computers the um, the communications uh, itself has speed up we're now talking about a 5g network uh, being ready for, for rollout uh, the old modems of 14.4 uh, with the squeaking and the strange sound effects of uh, of long since being confined to the dustbin so we can really have lightning quick and a lot of these services are now starting to uh, to develop you mentioned alexa Earlier, it's going to become uh, relatively straightforward. You use voice commands. Um, the battery life on the sensors is, is, is now up to six and nine years. So you can see scenarios where households, ordinary households, it's at the early adopter stage, but you might think, well, I'll try one of these newfangled electric vehicles, but I've already got an existing solar panel. And if I jiggle around with my uh, tariffs and my, my, my smart setup, perhaps I can somehow link up the production of electricity from my rooftop and squirt it into a battery and then the battery can perhaps charge a, a, a car i could do a bit of time shifting on there still i'm still connected to the grid but i'm certainly not as reliant and it's not the one-way process that the the energy system seems to have been uh, geared up to since the uh, second uh, world war and if you think like that and if you think that's something to ordinary people then that would to my mind to, to be almost a seismic change in the way that 
energy isn't just consumed, but as you say, it's taken us from a consumer to a prosumer with all kinds of implications of, of that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a couple of things I think there. I think there's one thing I would separate. First, looking at the technology side, absolutely. I mean, computing power has increased dramatically. But actually, when if you look at the mobile world um, as, a, as a kind of analogy um, for what's going to happen in energy, um, the key thing that enabled smartphones is not it's not just processing power, but it's having that processing power in a smaller in a, in a smaller package, if you like, um, that you can stick into a mobile phone. The initial, the early mobile phones were things in briefcases that um, you'd have to lug about. Um, the key change in terms of getting from that to getting to smartphones was not just the fact that the processes were more powerful, but you could get them into packages that you could hold in your hand. Um, they use far less energy for the same amount of power. So certainly in terms of sensors around the energy system, that's that's crucial. You want sensors that are a small have very little power draw potentially in future um depending where they are could be powered by their own little tiny solar cell on the on the sensor um the speed thing again with a point i'll just make with things like 5g 4g before it even 3g to some extent um we tend to focus on the fact it's, it's the speed um actually what those new um, technologies in the mobile network have, have enabled is not just speed, but it's it's more bandwidth. It's the ability to get more into the system. A lot of the energy Internet of Things um, were applications we're talking about. The amount of data won't be very won't be very high. We're not going to have to. We're not going to be using um, <clears throat> gigabit per second speeds uh, to transfer data from a, a smart meter or from a car or whatever um, to a system that's going to make use of it. But what we will need to do is to transfer information from millions of devices at the same time. So each individual connection might be quite limited in terms of speed, but things like 5G, um, 4G already, what they enable you to do is have lots of connections at the same time. So it's it's still it's greater bandwidth and you can use greater bandwidth either to have a few people using it very quickly or to have lots of people using it more slowly. It's kind of up to you how you how you spread that up. So, so yeah, that's on a on a technology side. And then yeah, you're absolutely right. I think the the seismic shift, the real disruptive flavor of this is is at the grid edge. It's the shift from as a consumer, I just have a um a dumb meter that measures over several months till the man comes to read it. Um, how much energy I've used on aggregate. I have very simple tariffs. There's no granularity. The the utility doesn't even know whether I'm using electricity at six o'clock in the evening or eight in the morning or in the middle or one o'clock in the afternoon because it's just it's just gathering aggregated data at the end of it. So so I mean the. I guess if I was to pick a device which will have which will drive a lot of this seismic shift, it's it's going to be the smart meter. So if we're looking at smart devices, the one key aspect to all this going forwards is going to be the rollout of that smart meter in the home, which in real time will give information to the system about what energy you're using. And then, as you say, if you connect that then to how much you're generating from your solar panel, how much you require to go into your connected electric car, you can then start to manage that in a way that is not 
not only best for you as a customer in terms of your how much you pay, but also, and this I think is where Internet of Things becomes crucial going forwards, you can also manage it so that it's best for the system. So, for example, you don't need to, um, you're not feeding in excess electricity into the, into the system um, at times when it's not helpful to do that. And that can also then mean lower costs for the distribution network. Um, it can mean less grid upgrades. There's, there's a whole bunch of other kind of um, advantages that brings to the system as a whole. Yeah, the one thing we learnt in uh, in network computing that uh, seems to have a number of parallels to uh, to renewables. But one thing we learnt is that you can get up to ninety five percent of network uh, availability quite easily. It's the last five percent that is the difficult bit, and that's the costly mm. bit. So if you can, and we, we touch upon this in some of our our courses, but if you can avoid that five percent peak and having to have whole heaps of kit standing idle, just ready for for touching that peak, perhaps if you could do it via batteries or you could do it with some smart switching or brownouts or smart uh, use of, uh, of appliances on a domestic level. And you can incentivize that through the tariffs, a lot of which have been kicked into the dustbin in the last few years, but it might be time to dust them off and pull them out again and say, well, actually, the kit is now fit for purpose. People can mine the data. They can use it. They can use it to make an informed choice. They can uh, choose if they've got an electric vehicle to, to choose a, a good time. I know in network computing, I think a lot of the one, the YDO network stuff, it used to go across at two or three o'clock in the morning when the bandwidth was there. Nobody was at work in the UK. Might be elsewhere, but um, it, it enabled efficient use of uh, uh, of the network. Now, you mentioned the speed of progress in, uh, in the Internet of Things, how the kit has got better, it's got faster, it's got smaller. And a similar process has happened in renewable energy. I started out 15, 20 years ago, biggest machines um, I took down at uh, Delable. That was built in 1991 in the UK, biggest machines in the world. They went from 100K to 400K. So that was a, a seismic shift four times. And the 400K machines were the biggest in the world. And when we took them down, and it was 20 years later, long time, but not you know, in the great scheme of things, that long. Uh, and, and then the machines, we, uh, we reduced 10 machines to four, and we nearly trebled the output at the same time. And they've put 2.3 machines, but even they're small now. The machi machines uh, offshore are looking at six, eight, 10, 12, 15 megawatt machines, big generators. So the economies of scale have kicked in for renewable energy, and that has driven down the cost. So as IT has gone almost like making quantum uh, progress so in parallel has, uh, has has renewable energy and clean tech. On top of that, and I think this is something that uh, you've been teaching on, John, new new players have come to the game. Uh, electricity, it's used in real time. It's not something that has lent itself to a storage particularly well, a bit of hydro, but it's left, it left a gap for fossil players. But now things like batteries have come in and we can now use smart meters and we can start mining the data and start using machine learning all of this is now starting to so i think it is a sweet spot if you like i think mm. it is a good time that the computing power is there the speed is there the bandwidth is there and the kit has moved on and the price has plummeted so it's almost a perfect storm for the integration of renewable energy and clean tech kit with computing kit yeah and i think i think an important point you made there was um machine learning um machine learning artificial intelligence whatever you want to have you want to term this thing the other key thing that happened in in the telco world um was that the 
the the power and, and the money to a large extent moved to software firms um, rather than hardware firms. So certainly in the time I was working in that industry, um, you very quickly saw that it was the it was the Microsofts of this world who were producing the software, um, who who were the ones that were making the billions compared to in, in those days the now different people like Digital Equipment Corporation and a whole bunch of other and IBM started off very much as hardware and then moved into 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 more services. Um, certainly, you've seen that with with the mobile world with smartphones. That the smart bit. Is the software? It's the it's the software both in the phone and also in the servers in the network um, that basically provide the service and make it useful. And that'll be the same in energy. Um, I think, and I think that's a big, that's going to be again a big disruptive shift. That um, if you're in the kind of traditional utility space, looking at kind of building power plants, operating grid lines. Plunking in hardware and so on, um, that's going to be a big shift. Is is data is all very well having all these sensors everywhere and generating vast amounts of data is all very well, but it's it's what you do with it that matters, and that's software. And the and a key thing that we know about the software world is that um, new players can emerge very very quickly um, with software. So Google, it's still only is it 15 years or something that yeah. Google existed and yet we think of them now as kind of part of everyday life been around forever so those companies can emerge very quickly and grow very quickly in, in software um, and also it moves very quickly so things can happen things can change and disrupt very quickly and I think that's why as I say things like smart meter in every home um, Certainly, if you start to combine that with energy storage, if you have a large um, population of electric cars, if you've got a large population with PV on the roof, um, you combine that with also smart management of, of more centralized assets in the network. Uh, we've got aggregators, uh, virtual power plants, all these kind of things. What will knit all that together ultimately is, is not the hardware is an enabler, but it'll be the software, it'll be the algorithms, it'll be the intelligence that's applied on top of that. And that can move very quickly, and that will probably involve people that we've never even heard of yet that will come yeah. up with a clever way to do it and will grow very fast. There's a few things just uh, emerged from what you're saying then. I mean, here we are. This is a good example of the tech. We're 200 miles apart recording this podcast um, <laughs> in we uh, yeah. <laughs> in, 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 different, in different locations, kits that would have cost thousands, if not tens of thousand pounds, not so not so very long ago. And I don't think ordinary people, if you like, would have had access to, to technology. Perhaps the big corporations may have, uh, have done. But touching upon some of the things that you said there, I can certainly see uh, um, you mentioned this prosumer and the two-way flow. I and mean, if you were to say, we, we clearly know that electric vehicles it's already happening in norway and it seems to be on the cusp here in the uk but if you saw them in, in terms of, of also batteries on wheels in that actually if you've got a million evs and that they're, they're not all going to need charging at all at the same time but actually they will have a battery element to them as well you can see elements where the grid might actually say well we might have a million batteries mobile batteries on wheels and perhaps we could do a deal with the consumers and say look if you leave 10 percent of your battery available for us to draw upon we'll perhaps give you a favorable tariff you can see a kind of nascent market opportunity whereby the batteries become a mechanism to avoid a whole heap of expensive physical kit upgrades you mentioned the difficulty of putting physical kits there's environmental constraint there's permitting constraints and if you were to think, well, actually, the, the national grid, I, I suppose it's getting on a bit, the bulk of it at the moment. But 
perhaps the new national grid it might be largely offshore with just a skeleton onshore and, and, and that, that, that some of these new services might become a, a form of virtual a virtual national grid is that fanciful yeah yeah well i think there's i think it's important to separate out here the I mean, National Grid, when we talk about National Grid in the UK, we're talking about the company that runs the, the transmission network. Um, I think, again, I think the key a key change that's going to happen with the this smart grid internet of things, whatever you want to call it, the tran the transmission side of the network is already pretty smart. We we can all national grid all already are responsible for balancing supply and demand, um, moving things around, swapping things onto different power lines um, if need be. The distribution network is where a lot of the big changes are going to happen. Um, that's the bit that at the moment is is one way, um, but it's going to rapidly become two way. So there'll be power going in into the network, into the centre of the network from the edge. But also what we're starting to see, which I think will have a, a massively disruptive effect when it gets going, is um, companies in, in various countries, Centrica here in the UK, one of them, um, trialling uh, various local trading markets so basically having the ability so that rather than me as a, as a prosumer here rather than always selling electricity or buying electricity in and out of a kind of national system um why can't i just trade with my neighbor so if i happen to be at home um, and he's got he's out at work but he's producing pv on his roof uh, why not sell that electricity straight to me why does it have to go into some central pot and then come back out again um and so that then you get into and then obviously you require information on at a, at a very granular local level who's producing who's consuming um, what the most efficient ways are to move that around the distribution network um but i think that that potentially is, is hugely disruptive not only in terms of consumer benefits, but also the impact that has on if you're in a centralized world, if you're making money trading centrally, if you're making money generating centrally or making money by moving power along grid lines. Um, if we can instead start to move power around just locally and trade it locally, that has, again, massive implications. And that all requires data on balancing at that local level. It was it was always there. And again, it's a parallel with uh with the computing networking uh, world, John, and one of the strange byways with uh, with working for the large corporations, but it was always there, and it was called peer-to-peer -peer networking, mm. and we always used to cover it in our courses, and it was always there, but, but we tended not to use peer-to-peer -peer networking because we wanted to talk to other shell locations, we mm. wanted to talk to other big companies, so peer-to-peer -peer, peer -peer networking was an interesting little byline that you covered and then went on to something uh, mm. <laughs> more relevant to the, yeah. to the mega, mega corporations. So it's been in there right from the... Uh, the instance I, worked, I spent a year, a very enjoyable year, with a very innovative company called Good Energy, and we were looking even then, and this is as far back as 2010, at uh, new uses. There was things like uh, crowdfunding. Nobody had ever heard of crowdfunding mm. uh, there. What was that? Well, if you're having problems with uh, getting banking, if all, if all the big banks are not interested in renewables, perhaps you need to draw upon the people themselves. And there was this new concept, uh, crowdfunding, which was we've been trying. Now it's uh, now it's mainstream. Uh, and it's using uh, the power of communication and it's using the power of uh, of the internet. Now, peer-to-peer -peer networking for community schemes, for localised, combine that with, I think, another strand that we've not yet talked about uh, that is also out there. And the, that is something that you never do in the old days. You'd, you'd be a, you'd have your, uh, after after the, the split, after the CGB split, you might have a power gen or whatever the, uh, the RWE equivalent. 
and you'd stay with them. You'd stay with them unless something really, really bad happened. You'd stay with them for, for, for years. Uh, but now, if you get your electric bill and you, you suck in your breath after receiving it, and then you, you perhaps look on a, a, a comparison site, well, why am I paying this? So it's got easier and easier to uh, to switch. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and, and you, I, th- I think you mentioned Alexa earlier, and it's only a matter of time, I think, and if it's not already happening, is it possible just to, to ask Alexa... Alexa, this is my power bill. I'm not very happy. Can you find me a better tariff? Is it- yeah, yeah. I, I think you can. I can't remember who's doing that, but I think you can. I mean, and I mean, the point there is, yeah. I mean, the technology is one thing, but also having a competitive market. So there are many countries where you can't do this easy switching um, to different providers. Um, in the UK, we've probably got one of the most competitive electricity markets in the world in terms of from a consumer's ability to to switch providers. And what you'll notice is that the to differentiate themselves, a lot of these new providers, certainly the ones that are being more successful, um, are ones that who where their their offering is very much tied in with smart metering and very much tied in with things like time of use tariffs, more innovative tariffs. There are companies now, I think Octopus is one of them, where they actually have a, if you like, a tracking tariff where it actually tracks the wholesale markets. Um, and so you can, if you want to, be very granular in choosing whether to put your washing machine on at a certain time um, based on the wholesale tariff at that time. Um, so, yeah, you're starting to see innovation in terms of using using pricing. And again, that's all based on having that data available and providing that data to the household. Um, it's also based on being able to bill for that in terms of how they use it. Use it. Um, so, so, yeah, I mean, it's that's where... Internet of Things as a technology is just an enabler, but what will make happen is it need to be the, um, the tariff models and the, and the kind of marketing strategies around it. Yeah, so people can make, you don't need to be any kind of computing whiz to do this. You don't need to be any geek in programming, learning some arcane language. Any, anybody can ask Alexa to look around and see yeah. if there's a, a favour. So it's become quite user-friendly. Like you, you think about it, you can have all this computing power, but I've certainly been struck. Certainly you look at some of the... Uh, of, of Apple uh, and, and how easy to, it is to, to use. They don't even bother with manuals. They say, well, they teach yourself as as as, as you do it. And uh, it's very intuitive. And you can you can just see a, a, a situation where you don't need to make endless phone calls and be getting serial numbers and some arcane coding systems when you get your bill and you want to want, want to change it. And I'm sure that's only going to increase as, as, as ordinary people are engaged in, in an industry, which must be a good thing as, as people start to take ownership, if you like, of, of their own energy, energy needs and how they want to, to do it. So they can, they can make it work for them. And as, as they get better and better, they can, uh, they, can, they can reduce it by being smarter. So it's the old adage of, of working a bit smarter rather than, than working harder. Yeah, I mean, it, it's an interesting one. I mean, I, I, my, my view is that the majority of people are not going to actively engage in managing their own um, electricity use. They're just not going to be bothered or have time. But that doesn't mean that their electricity use won't be managed more smartly, but it will be the companies that will be successful are the ones which will use software, artificial intelligence, Internet of Things, whatever combination of factors, to do that smart management for people. Um, I, I don't imagine there'll be a few people who will sit there in front of a screen and kind of look at what the price is at certain times and decide physically when to charge and not charge the car or to set timers and all that kind of stuff. But I think in 
that'll be if you like i mean you can define different types of customers that would be kind of an early adopter kind of tech savvy set to get this into the mainstream i think really the opportunity is going to be for companies who can manage that for people and can do all that time shifting and can do all the smart appliance management ev charging management um benefiting from different time of use tariffs and so on um so that basically the consumer when they look look at their bill over time it's smaller <laughs> so but but they don't really care about on a granular level how it's become smaller they just want to know that they're something smart is managing their service for them yeah and i think looking at the industry i think there's been some unusual movements in the background and also my old company shell seems to have been uh, making a number of strategic uh, acquisitions including yep. Uh, uh, companies that are in the battery field and the energy management field, almost, and I think it's almost seeing this as a service, like you mentioned this with the software companies earlier, rather than an oil company just pumping out oil, saying, well, actually, we might be, if you'd, if you'd say we were, we're, we're energy, and electricity might be part of that energy mix, and it's becoming smarter. And we've not really touched upon other other elements of, of this, this Internet of Things. I mean, behind it, we've got developments such as blockchain, which is a distributed ledger system that might work well with some of the uh, the peer-to-peer networking that you've yeah, already uh, um, touched upon. And there are other, we, we talk about, we, we're interested in clean tech and, and renewables. And I've, I've been thinking about some of the the, the, the grievances on, on, on the renewable field. Uh, for example, half hour, if you knew with more certainty what the wind yield was going to be or whether you had a battery backup or some other integrated renewable, could you get, do you think, a better half-hour price for your renewable. Mm. Could you therefore get projects away because you've got more certainty? Is that possible? Yeah, um, yeah, certainly. I mean, they, and again, that's part of the whole data gathering and feeding into algorithms is, I mean, things like weather forecasts and more accurate weather forecasts, um, <clears throat> certainly over longer time periods, uh, more granular detail. It, I mean, it all feeds into being able to better balance supply and demand ultimately because as you say electricity is not something um it's something that has to be used if we put it in a battery we, we call it electricity storage actually we're using it a battery is a load it's an extra source of demand we're converting electricity into something else into chemical energy and then converting it back again when we need it so um so yeah all these kind of things feed into into better better management and at the moment a lot of that um focuses obviously on the big scale um systems um big scale wind farms having lidar on the on the turbine so they can see um half an hour ahead or 50 minutes ahead very accurately what the wind speed changes are going to be um but obviously in future if you're talking about thousands and or millions of rooftop solar systems um the same argument would go for that the more accurately the more accurately we can predict a particular system what it how its output is going to change the better we can manage how that system is going to operate because we can choose when to schedule storage, dispatch of storage, um, dispatch of power plants in the grid and so on. Um, so, I mean, it's all kind of more information, more granular information is all going to feed into, uh, in theory at least, a more efficient system, but it's it's how you use the information that's going to be key. So would, you, would you say it's fair to say that this is all going to drive the bankability aspect of, of renewable energy and clean tech in that the banks they're going to get more certainty the kit that we've talked about a lot of it's pretty new but it's 15 years old now so that and the principles are tested uh, people know that offshore wind works there's been a sector deal uh, people know it can scale up it's uh, it's going abroad economies of scale 
are kicking in. It's been applied to integrated schemes with, with batteries. And we're now talking about uh, we've got data to mine and we can mine that effectively and use it, all of which would seem to be de-risking the whole renewable energy industry process, which in theory should drive the industry forward even further. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I mean, it's kind of offshore wind, if you like, is a is a very different beast from most of the stuff I've been talking about. Because offshore offshore wind, increasingly, is becoming kind of the ultimate, if you like, centralised mega scale project. Um, offshore wind and is is almost the kind of in terms of scale, it's more like the kind of conventional power plant model. At, at, and at the other extreme, you've got something like PV on rooftops, which is complete antithesis of the conventional power plant model um but i mean the fact is that in a system as a whole they're going to work together you're going to have you're going to have very big big offshore wind schemes because it makes sense to build them very large because of economies of scale because of installation because of all sorts of other all the other issues economic issues around it um and then at the other end of the scale at the edge of the network you're going to have lots of small scale stuff um particularly pv and then in between a, a whole bunch of scales from tiny to big you're going to have batteries you're going to have um you can have smaller renewable projects and so on so but yeah they all have to fit together they all internet of things applies throughout that network um and the key is going to be combining data from all those different sources ultimately to balance supply and demand in an efficient way, in a way that reduces costs on things like grid transmission and, and as you say, capacity. I mean, you mentioned earlier this idea about how big, how much capacity do we build. Um, I mean, I think it's true to say that no one ever builds a communications network um, to always deliver a hundred percent of the absolute capacity. You always allow, you always. I'll probably not express that very well, but the point is there's always an acceptance that there will be a few times when you have a level of congestion. You always accept a certain level of congestion at absolute peak times, and then the key is how you manage that traffic. And so what that means is there'll be times when the network slows down, for example, or you have to reduce people's bandwidth or people's speeds and so on. Um, and so the same is the same really should apply to our electricity system this idea that we build enough grid capacity enough generating capacity enough everything capacity to meet those a few peaks that might be minutes or a few hours a year um very large degrees of demand economically it just doesn't make a lot of sense and for yeah, men better, such, it doesn't make much sense you've spun some interesting stuff in uh, in in there john and it's uh... It made me think back to my old network computing uh, days, but intuitively on a household level, if my fridge was to go off for a couple of hours, well, it wouldn't be the end of the world. It'd still mm. keep stuff cool. Is it, uh, does it matter if it's at peak time? And I'm happy for that to be chopped off. And somebody said, look, you're going to get a cheaper tariff if you make your smart fridge, if you make it so that it does the bulk of its work offshore, I'd be quite happy. Likewise, with my tumble dryer or the other goodies that we've got around the house it doesn't always have to be done immediately uh, perhaps there'll be some switch that will switch it on at two o'clock in the morning or whenever is a, is, is, is a good time and then it can do the bulk of its freezing or tumble drying at uh, at that time and if you do that I mean, that's just on a household level but thousands and millions of people were doing that you might avoid a whole heap of pylons traversing the beautiful countryside and yeah, yeah. The, uh, the, yeah. the, 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 the thing. I mean, it would say that the tech is pretty much there. I mean, it can already do that now. It's just a case mm. now 
of perhaps making more uh, standards. I don't know whether there's a standard for all these Internet of Things to talk to. I know that drove IT along in the in the early days, a pretty boring thing, but let's just show all talking to the same thing in the same language at the same thing that every device that comes out, whether it's your fridge or your hive heater or your tumble dryer, is talking the same language. And yeah, 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 no, standards are absolutely, absolutely crucial to all this um, as it was in in um in the internet world um and and yeah i mean what you've touched on is is demand response really um we've always we've kind of tended to solve problems in the electricity industry by building more supply <laughs> whereas i think going forwards we'll increasingly start to solve um problems in the electricity in industry by also looking at what we can do with demand so instead of just allowing demand to do what it wants and to peak all at the same time much more efficient much better um, much more financially sensible um, and, and ultimately cleaner um, as well to not just build our way out of problems by adding more supply to meet those peaks, but to get rid of those peaks or to smooth out those peaks by managing demand. And, and that will be a massive part of what the whole Internet of Things and the whole um, smart grid side, side will be about. It will be about smart demand um, as much as kind of smart supply. And I suggest this is already happening. People are coming into the market. Products are already out there. Big players, massive companies are into into this space all, already, and there's a lot more to come. Is there anything that we've not touched upon, uh, John, that you'd have thought, well, that would have been uh, something that should have been... The, uh, I think the chances are that your big players are already aware of some of these trends. Obviously, there'll be false oh, yeah, trends absolutely. and blind alleys and things there. So they're already aware of this, and this is already going to happen a 5g is now imminent you mentioned that most people do have smartphones and that the, 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 the capabilities are largely already there but i think the next few years they will be combined with the um uh, i read this week about uh, some uh, some uh, regulations in uh, london for air quality that's driving electric vehicles forward it's not just about price there are other drivers as well but it's starting to come together things like telematics which used to meet something else, and the, the amount of data you can get in an electric vehicle now, and uh, the, the, the way that that is driving the industry and how these electric vehicles will, of course, have batteries. The batteries are possibly two-way. So it's all coming together mm -hmm. at a very, very interesting time. Of course, there'll be false byways. Even in offshore wind, a great success story. There's many, many failures along the, the some supply chain failures, turbine company failures, but the, that will always happen. Well, I suppose by taking a kind of market-driven approach, I suppose that it's... It gives a, a, a chance to see what works, what works well, and what works what works perhaps less well. And the ones that work well will perhaps uh, uh, be the ones that, that prevail. But we are, I think, at a very interesting time. I think there is a convergence between what's happening in, in, in renewables with the way that kit has improved, costs have dropped, and likewise with, with IT and from your own experience in, in telecom. So two or three separate strands that have come together almost at a perfect time and for a lot of the time during that we knew innovation was happening but sometimes it wasn't clear what the end result might, might be but it seems to be getting a little bit more clarity from what we're saying yeah no definitely um i mean as you say i think it, it's already happening none of this stuff we're talking about is doesn't exist um it's it's happening um it's certainly happening in big companies um because all big companies already have smart meters effectively um so that and that granular information is already there and also there's very much a kind of business driver to reduce energy costs they're much more exposed to things like time of 
time of day tariffs, time of use tariffs to um, particular grid charges and so on. Um, so that's already happening. It's just starting to um, it's starting to get going in, in the residential level. I mean, obviously, from a scale point of view, that will be that's one of the key things to, to watch. And I guess that's potentially where it becomes of interest to to the, those big IT companies. I mean, how how long before there's a an Apple energy offering, for example, or a Google energy offering, um, which integrates a lot of this stuff together. So so, yeah, there's there's lots of things to watch. It, it's it's happening on a small scale. It'll only get bigger, as you say. The, the costs are coming down. The um, the communications abilities are increasing. Um, the I mean, the the retail price of energy in, in most countries is is still going up, even though some in many countries wholesale might be coming down. Um, people certainly, as a at a consumer level, aren't feeling electricity is getting any cheaper. So there's certainly financial incentives for them to manage um, their electricity more more sensibly or to have people manage it for them so so yeah there's um there's a lot of things converging and, it, and it'll only grow i think we've i think we've covered enough enough for now i'm sure we'll come back <laughs> to some of these themes individually um, yeah, yeah we uh, we always welcome we welcome uh, feedback if uh, if listeners are kind enough to uh, to feedback and uh, perhaps with uh, a few things in there that perhaps merit uh, further discussion john and i have already covered uh, hydrogen in a, in a previous uh, podcast, but there's certainly a few elements of uh, of this discussion that uh, might merit a little bit more teasing out of of, of detail. Should uh, demand uh, exist, we mentioned things like uh, blockchain happening in the background. Disruption seems to be running like a light motif through the discussion. But we uh, we welcome feedback from uh, from our listeners and uh, ideas for further podcasts. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we'll draw it to a close there. Um, we're both on LinkedIn, so you can connect with us there. And also, if you go to uh, astutenewenergy.com, um, you can also find out a bit more about who we are and what we do and, and get in touch with us that way. Yeah, so, it might be today, with, sorry, sorry to interrupt you, John. It might yeah. be, should anybody wish to meet us face-to-face, -face, I think we're planning to go up to uh, part of the uh, the All Energy Conference. Oh, yeah, All in, Energy uh, in Glasgow. Will in be Glasgow, there. so it'd be nice to, uh, nice to yep. shake a few hands and, and say hello to a few of our listeners. Absolutely. Okay, so for today, um, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.